0: Politics Uncensored with Ali Milani on FUBAR Radio.
1: Hello everybody, this is Ali Milani on FUBAR Radio with Politics Uncensored. Another great episode for everybody this week. We've got a little bit of an international episode. Um, both guests uh, from across the world um, as well as uh, an MP here in the UK. Um, we're going to focus this week on the theme of India. India. Uh, and many of you will have heard or seen um, on the news uh, the rising tensions amongst communities in India, uh, particularly amongst uh, Hindu and Muslim communities. And while that may seem really, really far away, we have seen it come to our shores in the UK. If 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 you take your mind back a couple of months, you will have seen, hopefully you will have seen the headlines around um, tensions in Leicester. Um, and how that links all the way back um, to India so what we're gonna do is we're gonna try and get some perspectives on what's actually going on um, and and how that links back home here in the UK um, and so we're gonna be joined by a Muhammad Ali an author and academic from India uh, he's gonna he's gonna tune in um, live with us uh, from India and tell us a little bit about the history the context Uh, but also what's going on in India. How can we delve through all of the headlines and get to the issues uh, in the roots of the communities? Later, we'll be joined by Naz Shah MP, Labour MP for Bradford West and Vice Chair of the APPG on British Muslims. She has spoken about this issue in Parliament on a number of occasions uh, and obviously will have people within her constituency and people she's met across the country who are both directly and indirectly affected by this. But as we do every week, we start with This Week Unwrapped. And that's the segment where we are joined by a guest where we talk about the headlines of the week's news. And we have a returning guest this week, Councillor Hamza Toazel, our former Lord Mayor of Westminster, who joined us previously. Hamza, thanks so much for coming back. I'm told you're in Morocco.
2: I am. I am. I'm currently in Morocco literally just moved away from the family um, family lunch uh, to jump on and um, yeah it's really hot here though.
1: Well it's listen I, back home. I appreciate you stepping away from that that what I can only imagine is amazing Moroccan food to talk to me <laughs> makes me feel particularly special and I don't know if you can see behind me but it's been horrible weather in London today so I'm Dad. well jealous of you it's this sort of misty rain the horrible sort of rain as well it doesn't even have the audacity <laughs> to rain properly. Anyway, we're going to start with um, something you'll be familiar with, and that's Notting Hill Carnival. Um, We've had um, lots of controversy surrounding Notting Hill Carnival as a a result of comments made both by the Metropolitan Police uh, and by politicians. So The Metropolitan Police Federation has said that there was unacceptable and unsustainable uh, levels of violence at Notting Hill Carnival um, that just took place over the bank holiday. Uh, weekend. Um, we now have seen reports that a police officer was sexually assaulted and six others were bitten this year while footage has emerged of youth running through the streets with machetes. Uh, Rick Pryor, Vice Chairman of the Federation said that the levels of violence at the carnival in recent years has become unmanageable. Now obviously Notting Hill Carnival is a staple of London. Um, it's, it's a huge, huge cultural moment. Um, that celebrates the the diversity of our city um and, and the amazing um the caribbean culture that exists and is so deep rooted in our uh in our city it's one of the most enjoyable times of year to be a londoner and yet we've got um quite a lot of outcry particularly from from far-right media but not just exclusive to far-right media uh hamza you're a you a ca- uh, are a councillor and were a former lord mayor and one of the most diverse uh, boroughs in London. Tell us a little bit about your views on what's being said around Notting Hill Carnival, but also what it represents in our city.
2: Well, I think in terms of Notting Hill Carnival it's quite, it's quite tricky. You, you do have sort of the racists in the far right who say "Oh, we don't like it, it's a lot of noise, a lot of disturbance, nothing's really community orientated about it. But the reality is, and obviously since its inception, it has been a community event. It's been a time for different cultures, different people from all over to get together, especially the Caribbean culture, um, to be able to express themselves, have a bit of fun. And I think it is and it has been, I think, in recent years, especially overshadowed from some of the things you see with the police or with, I guess, a the knife crime or some of the youth issues that, that are happening over the last couple of years. It goes right through or well, goes at the end of my ward as the Queen's Park Councillor um, then enters Westbourne. So it's all partly Westminster, partly Kenton-Chelsea. So we do see it from the very beginning do you
1: think, to the very end. Do you think that there needs to be more done to kind of develop a better relationship between the police force um, and organisers and community members? Could that be part of what's going wrong yeah. here?
2: No, no, absolutely. I think you're absolutely right. I, I don't think there's a sense of trust and understanding between uh, no. organisers and the police force. And no. I don't think it has been for actually quite quite a while. I can't remember the last time there was, I think, quite peaceful and positive cooperation. Now, that's not saying there isn't any cooperation. There is, and there are good people on both sides, obviously, trying to make things happen. Mm-hmm. But most of the time, it's people talking, I guess, I'm talking to a wall and you're talking to a wall, and we don't get anywhere, essentially. And yeah. I think we've seen that, especially this year, all the coverage that's taking place.
1: And so, lastly on this issue, Susan Hall, who's the uh, Conservative... Uh, party candidate for London mayor at the next mayoral election uh, has <clears> been <throat> heavily criticized for what uh, many viewers offensive comments in regards to Notting Hill Carnival she suggested that it should be moved um there were there were controversies reports around uh, her comments allegedly saying linking it to crime um and obviously that's seen huge outcry the likes of David Lammy have spoken against it and labor MPs have written a letter um how important do you think it is for a London mayoral candidate to understand just how important Carnival is in connecting different communities across the UK, and in London well, I, specifically.
2: I in, well, I think in terms of any mayoral candidate, they need to understand what London's really about. They need to understand what it actually means for the communities involved, what it means for the people who live in the area, what it means for the people who take part in the area. And unfortunately, and this is not me just saying it from a sort of political standpoint, but the comments that she makes or she has made in the past, and politicians like her. I don't know how much they really care about the community. Mm-hmm. I don't know how much they really care about making a difference and making a change. And yeah. I think for yeah. them, they have a very black and white view of it, and it's literally they're the they stop the carnival.
1: Yeah, and I, 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 it seems a little bit like um, it's just playing to um, a base that's become more and more toxic in our in our politics over the years. Because mm. London carnival brings people together regardless of party affiliation, right? It's it, it, and it's not just Caribbean communities. Obviously, it's a celebration of Caribbean culture. But it's communities all across London that come together.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And that's what that's what carnival has been.
1: And so we've spoken about police. We're going to we're going we're to carry on. And that's the next story. And that's that police officers found guilty of gross misconduct face automatic dismissal, while all staff who, fa- who fail vetting can be sacked under government reforms of the disciplinary system. The measures are an attempt to restore the public's faith in policing in the wake of numerous controversies including serving firearm officer Wayne Cousins being convicted of the kidnap, rape, and murder um, of Sarah Everard. Uh, Hamza, we're not going to spend too much time on this, but I just want to get your views on this. Obviously, after Sarah, the the, the tragic case of Sarah yeah. Everard, what was being said is all, all police officers should be vetted before they're allowed, at least, certainly firearms officers, but uh, before they're allowed to, to be officers, and that seems like the direction we're going in. What's your view on that? So
2: I think uh, uh, it it tackles one t- uh, it tackles one side of the problem but doesn't necessarily solve what, what the issue is here and the issue is that there is a culture within the police force unfortunately of this sort of racism, discrimination of these, and I am i don't want to say sort of predators, but th- th- there's people with serious issues who seem to go through all the vetting and come out on the other side of police officers are meant to protect us, are meant to serve us are meant to help us out when we need them so I don't think, I think that's an easy I think that's the easy pop out to say once you've made a mistake, we're going to get rid of you because then they've already made a mistake. So you sort of question what what the government's actually trying to do here and whether it's, with a, I guess, with good intentions or not.
1: Yeah, and our final story here is on the theme of the show today. Where we're going to be having a number of guests joining us later to really unpick this, uh, but it's surrounding India. So police in India are investigating a video that shows a school teacher telling her pupils to slap their seven-year-old Muslim classmate the boy is filmed in tears as he slapped allegedly for getting his times tables wrong the video went viral on social media and has triggered widespread dismay and condemnation india's opposition leader rahul gandhi blamed the government for stoking religious intolerance the incident happened on thursday at private school in uttar pradesh a northern state why are you hitting me so lightly hit him hard uh, the teacher is heard telling the children as the boys uh, stands crying um you i don't know if you've seen this it's been all over tiktok and twitter and, mm. and, and other places uh, i don't want to talk about the incident specifically because often with these things you can't fact check you can't verify it's uh, you know it's yeah. a social media clip but what we're doing is i think what we want to do is use that clip as as a sort of a segue or a pivot into what is going on in india and these tensions between muslim and hindu communities uh, and the rise of modi and the far right um what 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 is your perspective on the rise of tensions between these communities in India, but also, as I said at the top of the show, it really is coming back home, as we saw in Leicester and other things, and and other places in the UK.
2: Yeah, well, I I did see this uh, particular thing on on I say social media. I saw it on TikTok um,
1: mm-hmm.
2: a couple of times, and it was going around through sort of the little group chats and that sort of thing. Um, but I I think it's a it's. It's worrying, and I say that with sort of great concern, because India is a sort of extremely polarised country at the moment. You do have Modi, you do have people who are against that sort of coexistence. And that has always, I I think, been the case for for India um, since the British left. It has always been like that. And I'd even go as far to say it was purposefully left like that in order to to allow the division to occur. But what we see within India um, with the splits in faiths, uh, the splits in that sort of community relations, it does bring it back home we've yeah. seen it here and so as and a that's, that,
1: that's... as a councillor are, are you worried that we could see some of these obviously probably not to the extremes that we're seeing in india but some of these yeah. behaviors and patterns and tensions um in your own ward in I your think, own council and in our city. I, I think
2: i've definitely seen it in 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 some cultures where they bring politics from back home into the uk mm-hmm. and that's not necessarily just sort of the violence or the outrage and that sort of thing but they genuinely bring back like political parties and their sort of political influence and they have it in the UK. So you'd have someone who perhaps isn't an elected individual, isn't involved in the system at all, who yeah. is supposedly in charge and runs, runs their community or runs their area. And obviously some things are yeah. political
1: norms abroad that aren't necessarily, um, in the UK and often, yeah. um, it's not always a bad thing, but it's things we need to be cognizant of. Hamza, I'm gonna let you go back because I took you away from food <laughs> and I'm, I f- I'm I'm feeling increasingly guilty every minute I've been taking you away from, from the food. <laughs> Sorry about the
2: disturbance. No, Sorry no
1: disturbance that. at all. <laughs> Thank you for having us. Thank you for joining us uh, from Morocco. I'm sure I'm, I'll hear from you soon and send my salaams to the family and enjoy Definitely. your time away. We're gonna be staying on, that was Councillor Hamza Tazel former Lord Mayor of Westminster, but we're gonna be staying on the topic of India. Um, and the rising tensions between uh, Hindu and Muslim communities in India, and what that means uh, for us in the UK, and whether we could see that um, take place here. I'm going to start by playing you a clip. Uh, And that clip is by uh, a gentleman by the name of Subraminiya Swamy, a leader of the BJP party. And he was recorded on Vice for a documentary saying this.
0: I mean, there's 200 million Muslims
1: living in India. That's the there second no largest Muslim population in the world. Yeah, yeah. And you're saying that wherever Muslims live,
0: that's a If not problem? Muslims become more than 30%, that country is in danger.
1: That sounds like hatred. That sounds no. <laughs> like language of
0: hatred. It's easy to say hatred. I'm being kind to them by not letting them come to India.
1: Article 14 of the Indian Constitution
0: guarantees the right to equality, as you know, yeah. for all persons living in India. I can tell you that's a misinterpretation of Article 14. Article 14 guarantees equality of equals. I'll give you an example. Are all people not equal? All people are not equal. Muslims do not deserve equal rights to uh, apply for
1: There is social- no such as equal rights. They are not in an equal category. There you have a leader of the ruling BJP party, Uh, In India, claiming that Muslims are not equals uh, and should not even be brought into the conversation around equality uh, of the law. Now, India, which has long had uh, a secular constitution prior uh, to the most recent years, um, is obviously under heavy scrutiny. And the reason it's under heavy scrutiny is one of two things. Largely, we have a quite large uh, Indian-British population in the UK. We have a quite large uh, Muslim population. Uh, British population in the UK, and there's obviously crossover with Indian, Muslim, British uh, people here in the UK. But also India is going to be uh, one of the biggest economic, is now one of the biggest economic powers that exists in the world. We have seen uh, cabinet ministers uh, and even the prime minister talking about the importance of future trade deals with India. Well, we need to look at these trade deals and any future relationship based on the behaviours of the Indian government, uh, as we do with any government, and, and the morality around that. Now there are around 200 million Muslims currently living in India, making it one of the largest Muslim populations anywhere in, a, in the world. But they are a minority in a predominantly Hindu country. And for decades, Muslim communities have faced discrimination in employment, education and encountered barriers to achieving wealth and political power. However, this is heightened under the leadership of Prime Minister Narendra Modi and the ruling party, the BJP, who have pursued a Hindu nationalist agenda since their rise to power in 2014. Modi's re-election in 2019 has seen the BJP push controversial policies to ignore Muslims' rights and disenfranchise millions of Muslims across India and has led to a rise in violence against Muslims all across India and across Um, its states. Now, uh, one of the major first pits uh, of news that, that really hit our airwaves in the West was in 2019, in December, Narendra Modi signed a Citizenship Amendment Act, which looked at fast tracking citizenship for Hindus, Sikhs, Buddhists, Jains, Parsis and Christians to the exclusion of Muslims. And it was the first time that a religion was directly linked with citizenship, Um, in Indian law. Now this was widely condemned. The UN Human Rights Council described the law as fundamentally discriminatory and as a result uh, we have seen rising uh, violence uh, across India. Now joining us in a moment we're going to be having Muhammad Ali author and academic in India who's currently writing a book on the issue. He's going to talk to us about Narendra Modi, the BJP, the anti-Muslim mobs and the rising violence and tensions across India. He's going to join us after this message.
0: FUBAR Radio
3: presents Access All Areas
1: There was an interesting no-show I thought in
2: Harry Styles. Apparently he didn't come because uh, both Olivia Wilde, his ex-girlfriend and Emily Rathajal, Emrata, uh, was, uh, was there... Two, And he was pictured kissing her recently in Japan um, Lucky care th- Apparently he avoided Because best not to be around two women you've recently been with I guess if you're Harry Styles See so if I'd have been there I'd have
1: said to both of them Piss off <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's go and have a gin and Tony So joining us now we have Count Binface An independent space warrior I just wanted to quickly ask you one last question uh, Let's say you had won that election and you became prime minister, you know, what are some of the big things you'd like to change? What are some of the big things you believe in that our politics needs?
2: Well, why don't we talk about the old royal family. Uh, because, you know, I, I don't wish to uh, abolish them like some people do. No, 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 no. I merely wish to solidify their ceremonial role so that they become the living, breathing version of Madame Tussaud's The Deep Down The Public wants. Again, I've been out on dates where people have gone, oh, like, what, what do you do? Why do they want pictures? And then I'll just go, oh, listen, I'll do little bits on TV, that's it. Um, and then... Two hours later, when they've had a few drinks, they stopped going and said, tell me what happened with this girl? What happened with this? What happened with that? And I think, I thought you didn't know.
0: Well, this is why I think I struggle with my date life because i never I've, i just see myself as me you know i'm from oxford moved to london that's it i have a great group of friends that's as simple as my life is when i go to date someone i don't see myself as oh i'm um, a girl that works on tv i just see myself as me but then i'm reminded by some of the things that they might do
3: you're listening to food bar radio food bar radio
0: Foobar Radio presents... The dating show. So we have got the incredible Sunita. How does
2: Sunita whittle down the people she wants to talk to to the people she doesn't? What's your criteria?
3: Well, you've got to be an adult. Um, <laughs> OK. <laughs> that's
2: always a good start.
3: Always a good start. But when I'm an adult, not just, like, 18, you've got to be, like, not young enough to be my child. Um, <laughs> you have to ideally... London based because I am. Yeah. Although I don't mind if you've got a country pad, that would be nice.
2: So at yeah. the minute, we're going with age and location are important.
3: Age and location are
1: good. Every Friday from 6 pm.
0: Fubar Radio.
1: Welcome back. This is Ali Milani on Fubar Radio at Politics Uncensored. We're tackling um, a really serious, important international issue this week on our show, and that is the issue of rising tensions between communities. Uh, in India, at the top of this segment, uh, I played a little clip uh, for listeners uh, that really highlights the, the the perspectives and the way of thinking, not by extremist individuals on the ground, but by political leaders. And this was what Subramnia Swamy, a leader of the BJP party, said on Vice. I mean, there's 200 million Muslims living in India. That's the there second no largest Muslim them.
0: population in the world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you're saying that wherever Muslims live, that's If a problem? Muslims become more than 30%, that country is in danger. That sounds like hatred. That sounds no. like language of hatred. It's <laughs> easy to say hatred. I'm being kind to them by not letting them come to India. Article 14 of the Indian Constitution guarantees the right to equality, as you know, yeah. for all persons living in India. I can tell you that's a misinterpretation of Article 14. Article 14 guarantees equality of equals. I'll give you an example. Are all people not equal? All people are not equal. Muslims do not deserve equal rights to uh, apply for... There's no such as equal rights. They're not in an equal category.
1: There you hear a leader of the BJP party describing Muslims as quite explicitly not equals, uh, in his view, um, and not uh, deserving of equal rights across um, across the law. Uh, earlier when we spoke to Hamza, I referred to a video um, of, uh, of a school child being slapped, but we've also got another report from the New York Times uh, around a separate issue on a train in Mumbai, uh, India's commercial capital, where a police officer took up his rifle, uh, fatally shot his superior, and then killed three unarmed passengers. All three of the passengers were Muslim men, according to Indian news reports Uh, and uh, audio from the cell phone videos of the incident filmed inside the train is muffled. But it sounds as if the officer Chetan Singh says in Hindi, if you want to live in Hindustan, you must vote for Modi and Yogi. Uh, Now, this is part of a growing concern um, in India, around the world um, and in international institutions around rising tensions between Uh, hindu and muslim communities in india over 200 million muslims currently live in india uh, but they are a minority in a predominantly hindu country joining us now we have uh muhammad ali author who is currently writing a book about india under narendra modi mr ali thank you so much for joining us uh live from india i understand how are you doing today sorry how are you doing today
4: I'm good, I'm good, I'm good. How are
1: you? Very well. Thank you so much uh, for joining us. I wondered, uh, we've been talking a little bit around uh, this rising tension uh, between what seems to be uh, Hindu nationalist far-right organizations and political parties and Muslim communities. Can you give our listeners, who may not know the history of India or how we got to today, a very brief sort of synopsis uh, of how we have gotten to these rising tensions and to that to to today
4: well Ali it's I I won't use the term tensions you know because tensions suggest that there is a reciprocity of animosity between two communities you know uh, this term describes the situation in India say 20 years ago. Right now, what we are seeing is a one-sided attack on the rights of minorities, including Muslims, mostly mainly Muslims and Christians, in India, and uh, it's a one-sided attack. Uh, the fact of the matter is that Muslim life in India has has dangerously has become dangerously uncertain, you know, and Hindus have been radicalized. To such an extent that now you do not need organized violence. There was a time when communal riots, communal violence, mob violence was uh, used to attack Muslims, Um, and these mob violence would happen periodically. Periodically, um, say uh, 2002 massacre of Muslims in Gujarat, when under the nose of, under the watch of uh, Prime Minister. Um at that who was at that time chief minister of Gujarat under right under his nose, and he has been accused of not doing anything in fact allowing the Hindu mob to kill uh you know thousands of Muslims in his state so there there was a time when mob violence like two thousand and two anti Muslim violence uh would be used to polarize the population and win elections. And uh, <clears throat> there is a, a, a um, um, you know, political scientist called Paul Brass who used the term as um, term of uh, 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 um, I mean he used communal violence as said saying that these are instruments of violence. But right now, what's happening is that you, you we don't need to organize uh, we don't need organized violence. Why? Mm-hmm. Because Hindus have been radicalized to such an extent that the very idea uh, of Muslims, they see the very idea of Muslims, the very idea of Christians as mm-hmm. a threat to their culture,
1: and let, as a threat if, to Indian culture. If I can stop you on that on the idea of threat, because I want our listeners to get a good sense, because they're not in India, get a, get a good sense of where this this threat idea is coming from. Um, from what we have seen in the research and in the data and the news reports here, uh, yeah. there is very much an idea and a fear that Muslims' populations... You the can you ra- be
4: a bit louder, please? Uh, or should I use... Uh,
1: mm, well, I, ca- uh, I, can tr- I can try and speak louder. Can you hear me okay like this? <clears throat> yeah. So basically, what I wanted to ask is, is this threat a fear of Muslim populations growing at a high rate in India?
4: the threat of fear against uh, fear about muslims yes yeah see the thing is that hindus are being uh, okay so as as you asked me uh, you know initially that to give you a sense of what's going on so and i just wanted to uh, to come to that that you know hindutva or uh, or hindu nationalism or hindu majoritarianism uh was to a very small degree in india's blood anyway you know right from partition uh to say 20 years ago so there we uh, we would generally see here and there you know uh, mob violence attacks on muslims and they they used to be you know uh, um not very often they were not a phenomena as such but so, what has happened right now is that because the seeds of religious bigotry plaguing this country, it was planted a century ago, you know, as far as as far back as 1921, when the all India Hindu Mahasabha at very at its very inception pronounced that Hindus need a separate nation and Muslims m- must be denied any rights in it. That fuzzy notion of Hindu nationalism was formal, formalized by this ideologue, Hindutva ideologue, called VD Savarkar. He as an exclusivist and homogenizing doctrine called Hindutva that is underpinned by an obsessive, visceral hatred of Muslims. Now, when partition happened in 1947, Muslims, a large number of Muslims, went to, migrated to Pakistan. And some of them, uh, some of the Muslims in India, decided to stay stay back now the muslims who decided to stay back they bear the burden of this partition and the and the right wing has been asking them that they use this logic that when you got your land why the hell are you here so this and this logic this idea that muslims belong to pakistan has been successfully pushed. In the minds and in, in, in and the psyche of the Hindu community in India, and the Hindu the Hindu nationalist groups, they've succeeded in capturing the collective consciousness of a large section of Hindus and indoctrinating them in the gospel of this mm-hmm. Hindu supremacy.
1: Could like, you, uh, if I if I could, I, could I ask to... Mr. Ali quickly, could you also yeah. tell us a little bit about the role that Narendra Modi has played in 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 all of this?
4: well narendra modi w- since w- when he became chief minister he became uh, infamous because by the the violence uh, anti muslim violence under him which was which happened uh, you know when he was the chief minister or what we call uh, the governor uh, mm-hmm. and of know, course
1: he was denied that? he was denied a visa to the united states at the time yes, because, as because a result of, that, of this
4: yeah so he he was denied a visa because of the human rights record uh, uh, bad human rights record under him and he was denied interestingly you know i mean you will be surprised to know that he was he was a banned guy he was a person non granta till he became the prime minister and he could visit the united states only because he became the prime minister of india so he is the guy who basically who manifested as as the guy who used these fault lines between hindus and muslims these historical fault lines to uh, uh, to polarize uh, the hindus and of course he he sprinkled he sprinkled a bit uh, the notion of development along with it to woo mm-hmm. the upper middle class
1: so he's used these tensions to, uh, essentially sorry. as a political tool
4: yeah but 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 when he when he when he was when he won the elections in 2014, strategically, he was not, he didn't use violence at that time as a political tool. He used symbolism at that time. Now, the idea of violence as a widespread uh, um, tool of of, uh, polarization and violence to win elections, to polarize the Hindus and win elections, even when the economy is doing very bad, even when... India is doing terrible in all development in, in, uh, indices. And in every way, Modi uh, government used violence against Muslims, lynchings, starting from 2015 when one of the first lynchings under Modi happened on the rumors of a Muslim having eaten beef. He was lynched by his friends and neighbors, in, um, which was like in a place right outside the national capital. And that's when it, it was from 2015 onwards that the violence and uh, uh instruments of violence was used mm-hmm. as as an instrument to yeah. uh to to kind of polarize and, and
1: we them. we also saw i think i've got here the new delhi clashes in 2020 uh, which right. saw around 50 people killed mostly muslims and there were allegations right. that the police did not intervene to stop the mobs attacking muslims um and in right. fact Uh, One of the things you said earlier, it's not just you saying it. Ghazal Jamil, assistant professor at at a university in India, has said the idea was that if you were a Muslim, you were liable to be attacked anywhere, anytime in India. And so I wondered if you could give us perspective to our listeners, what life is like for an Indian Muslim right now? Are they at risk of violence at any point in their life?
4: Well, if you are, I mean, I won't go on to say that it's... uh... You know, uh, they they can be attacked anywhere. But a Muslim, especially a visible Muslim, a Muslim with a cap, with a beard, who looks like Muslim, is certainly uh, you know uh, uh, dangerous. It's 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 dangerous to be a visible Muslim in today's India. And as you were rightly mentioned, talking about this incident of a of a murder of a, a Muslims in a mo- in a train, you know. Um. Uh, when I joined, I I heard you talking about it. Hello.
1: Yes. Yeah. I'm with you.
4: Yeah. So, you know, uh, that policeman he killed two Muslims. You know, and uh, uh and they were visible Muslims. So right now, uh, Muslims have stopped. Uh, they're they're very cautious not to appear as Muslims in day to day lives uh like they've stopped wearing skull caps they they've stopped saying assalamu alaikum in uh, in public spaces they've stopped eating meat in public spaces and what has happened is that every idea uh and everything associated with muslims have been have been illegitimized and have been criminalized in india today like you can't eat like a muslim you can't fall in love you can't live wherever you want you can't eat what you want it's it's almost like what was happening in the uh, uh, you know in the in nazi germany um uh when everything every association of uh of being a jew was uh was publicly mm-hmm. you know uh uh uh, uh de- de- delegitimized and criminalized mm-hmm.
1: so and, I, that's uh, I, i'm I, i'm interested that you've brought up um that issue because my one of my simplest questions to you was going to be, would you see Narendra Modi as an out-and-out out fascist?
4: Well, it's not only... Uh, you know, Ali, it's very easy to blame Modi, and it's very easy to, uh, you know, to just say, okay, Modi's out-and-out out fascist. Of course he is. But we should also talk about the ideology... Um, uh, Propelling him because if Modi goes, we have a guy who is waiting to replace him, and he's far, far worse than Modi. His name is Yogi Adityanath. He's a right-wing radical priest, uh, uh, and he's, he was appointed as chief minister.
1: Yeah, I have by a, the... I have a quote here from Mr. Adityanath uh, where he says, where he's talking about law and order, and he says, "Feeding bullets, not biryani, to Muslim troublemakers."
4: Yes, yeah, exactly. So he he uses he's all he has told several times that Muslims should stop uh, should stop uh, asking for uh, rights on uh, you know mosques and uh, he has he has uh, like he has in all like in all ways and choices he has showed that he is a chief minister of Hindus. Mm -hmm. For him, interests of Hinduism and Hindus comes first. And the rights of being a Muslim, rights of being a Muslim as an equal citizen of the country and uh, guaranteed by the Constitution Constitution of India comes later.
1: Mm -hmm. Mr. Ali, I just want to ask you, uh, I, I think it's really important to touch this topic. And that is, I don't want to associate what is very clearly um, a wide-scale radicalization to all Hindus in India and thus around the world. Uh, Any any more than I would like as a Muslim to be associated, for example, with the behaviors of Saudi Arabia or other Muslim countries. Can you tell us a little bit about what sort of resistance there is in India by Hindu communities who may not be agreeing with what is being done by the government? Well,
4: well, it's it's just a very small minority. uh, The so-called Secular, liberal, left, uh, that has become a fringe right now. They, it's an echo chamber They protest against the right-wing Hindutva. They protest against the, uh, the Modi government's anti-Muslim policies. But that protest in an echo chamber works yes. only for the benefit of Modi's polarization. The more uh, left-liberal lobbies, left-liberal... Groups protest against Modi. The more the support uh, base mm-hmm. uh, uh, of of Modi becomes emboldened, and they become, uh, should I say, they don't have any qualms, mm-hmm. you know. And about, I imagine,
1: I imagine uh, there's also a fear, right, if uh, that that violence that's that is being inflicted amongst Muslims could be turned on communities who are seen as against this nationalistic far right ideology.
4: Yeah, it's already happening, like christians are christians are being you know uh, attacked on daily basis their prayers their churches um, any semblance of uh, christian prayer anywhere in the rural india is being attacked and uh, these people are being like christians uh, bishop, uh, uh, pastors and priests are being arrested uh, in the past and uh, it's happening on daily basis across the country uh, because hindus think that oh these are missionaries who are converting hindus mm-hmm. into christians and that what has happened is that uh, M- uh, modi's chief ministers modi pa- modi's uh, party wherever whichever state it is uh, governing they have passed anti conversion law which is being used against uh, christian as well as muslim mm-hmm. uh, uh, priests
1: yeah, can I can I ask? You're obviously you're speaking about about speaking out uh, about this live on our show from India, um, not just yourself but people like yourself. How how much of a precarious, dangerous situation is it for you and people like you who are speaking out against Modi and the government and the, uh the nationalistic movement?
4: Well, honestly, Ali, I don't. I'm not very uh, vocal on social media because. Uh, you know anyone who speaks against the government who is seen as very vocal um gets uh, uh, you know arrested, they have cases registered against them. uh I am just like speaking to you because uh, you know I have I hope that not many right-wing Hindus uh, listen to your uh, uh, podcast uh you know, and they don't file a case against me but, the, the the reality is that speaking against this government, speaking against the culture of violence, which is against Muslims and Christians, which has been normalized in, in, in today's India, anyone who speaks against that is seen as a threat. And they police arrest them. And what has happened is that there, a, there, there are two laws. One is for Hindus and one for Muslims. You know, uh, if a Hindu, right-wing Hindu... Uh, goon who has killed Muslims, like innocent Muslims who burnt Muslims. Um, uh, if uh, he has not been arrested yet, he is still there, he's online, he's talking to the media, but he has not been arrested. But if there is any, any guy who gets uh, who tweets against uh and uh, 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 Hindu nationalism against this violence hmm. or who Counters the fake news spreaded by the right wing Hindu groups, mm-hmm. he gets arrested and they and, don't get paid. And so, so what?
1: Well, I guess listen, uh, we certainly don't want um, don't want any any difficulty coming to you. The reason we want to talk about this on our show, I mean, we're a UK based British, mostly European show. The reason we want to talk about it is because India is being seen as one of the big trade deal Britain's wants to do, given the size of the Indian economy.
4: Yeah, yeah. The FTA is in its last leg. The discussion uh, is in last uh, last legs, mm-hmm. and it's, it's it will be formalized, uh, let's say, by October.
1: Yeah. November. And so, one of the things we want is we want our decision makers here in the UK to hear exactly the behaviours of the current Indian administration, what is facing Muslims in India, and so if assume as as i usually do that you have british politicians listening into what you're saying right now the prime minister cabinet members members of the opposition what would your call to them be surrounding india what should they be doing surrounding india
4: well i i you know the only thing i would ask them is to pressurize the the uh, prime minister narendra modi's government to to uphold the rights of the press in India to uphold the rights of um, rights of uh, uh, minorities, including Muslims and Christians. See, as as a realist, I I also think that beyond a point, it doesn't matter because Modi government does not care that much about the foreign governments and foreign governments. In, let's let's take up uh, Biden administration. The Biden administration State Department's commission on on the uh, religious rights of minorities. It has been calling for last three, four years to declare India as a country of particular concern when it comes to the religious rights of minorities. And it has been asking the State Department and the Biden administration to consider India as a country uh, uh, as similar to Saudi Arabia. But the Biden administration has been, you know, welcoming Modi with, with pomp and show, as you can see. So mm. I don't think n- much is going to change. But, you know, answer to your question, I would certainly hope once the Labour Party comes in power, uh, they do exercise some kind of pressure on uh, Modi oh. government not to harass uh, Muslims and uh, and Christians and not to kill them.
1: Yeah. Well, I I don't know how many, uh, like you mentioned earlier, I don't know how many far right sort of people within the uh, Indian nationalist movement listen to the show. But I do know that people from the Labour Party certainly listen to the show and I hope they've uh, (laughs) heard you loud and clear. Thank you so much, uh, Muhammad Ali. Very brave of you to speak. All the power to you for speaking out. Um, Good luck with your book. That was Muhammad Ali, author who is currently writing a book about India under Narendra. Modi. Uh, We're going to be joined by Nas Shah MP, Labour MP uh, for Bradford after this message. FUBAR Radio presents As Handsome As You Imagine. What did you have for breakfast that morning? Almost certainly a pie. For breakfast? Yeah, because we started really, really early, right, at the butchers. We started proper early, at like 7 o'clock. I would have had at least six pies. A day? A day. That is a lot of pies. No, no, because we sold them at the shop. That is a legitimate answer to the question, who ate all the pies. (laughs) From 1pm every Monday.
3: FUBAR Radio presents...
0: Harriet Rose. Amber Marks here!
3: As I was saying, the visuals on Love Be Right, it was kind of like Lady in the Water, like, you know, that yeah, old yeah.
0: painting. That was pretty crazy, being in that pink plastic pool with like milk and like pink
1: food dye and jello i think so
3: to us it looks really sexy and then you're just sat in there like what it is was very cold <laughs> very cold and very gloopy
1: yeah did you pee in the
3: pool no i did not
0: i didn't promise me i swear i didn't because there was the guy who was doing he was holding the camera i
1: felt really bad he was in the pool with me so i didn't want to pee in the
0: pool. oh so that's the only reason you didn't pee in the pool no, because exactly. there was the guy there
1: i didn't want to do it
0: he's suddenly like oh did someone put some warm water in there? Yes. kind of a yellowy hue <laughs> everything Thursday, Harriet Rose, from 4pm, FUBAR Radio.
1: Welcome back, this is Ali Malani on FUBAR Radio, at Politics Uncensored. Um, we've been tackling a really quite difficult situation. We've just uh, heard from an author, Muhammad Ali, from Life From India, as we discuss the level of violence, I think he quite rightly pulled me up and not using the word tensions, the level of violence facing um, particularly Muslim communities but also Christians in India uh, at the hands uh, of a far-right extremist uh, organizations. I said it during the interview, and I want to say it again. As with anything like this, whether we're talking about, you know, far-right nationalist uh, organizations and political parties and mobs in India, or whether we talk about the Taliban in Afghanistan, um, or even extremist, uh, you know, European Christian uh, racist organizations in Europe, It's really important that we don't associate these extremists with the groups as a whole Uh, and that's hindus uh hindu indians or hindus across the world as a whole they're no uh you know these far-right organizations are no more representative of them than the taliban is of muslims uh, or or certain far-right um nazi groups are of christians uh in the uk and it's really important that our listeners remember that because some of the things we're talking about are very difficult um and and haunting, and you heard Muhammad Ali when I spoke to him about the backlash that he receives, uh, or or is likely to receive, or could possibly receive as a result of speaking out. That we make those distinctions, that we don't fall into racist traps ourselves, of homogenizing communities, um, whether that's in a specific country um, or here uh, at home. But we have been talking about the levels of violence, uh, the oppression uh and the systematic um persecution uh of Muslims in India as a result of uh of far right extremist Hindu nationalist organizations and political parties um and Muhammad Ali linked those directly to Narendra Modi and others. And he was careful to 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 let us know that this is an ideology that has been spreading um across India for many, many years. The New York Times has done a number of pieces on this issue. Um, in two th- uh, a few years ago, they, they looked at the detention centers that were supposedly being built uh, to house what they, uh, or what many believed, was to be targeting Muslims. I mean, they spoke about foreigners, but the idea was that these detention centers were being built for Muslims. Um, these were denied by Narendra Modi, the prime minister. He called them lies, lies, lies. And yet the new york times was able to get on the ground and not only find these detention centers but send footage of people working on them you can find these videos online where even people working on the sites uh we talking about building really high walls so people won't be able to get out le monde a french uh newspaper um has has reported quite extensively on this issue uh, and they have quote said that hindu extremists are hunting down muslims with impunity far-right hindu organizations begin have begun hunting down muslim families and a quote from a youth member of an organization called vishwa hindu parishta which is an extremist group um, that has allegedly according to lamond been linked uh, to the same ideological family uh so not directly but same ideological family as pm modi a, a quote from a youth member of this that's quoted in lamond stated that almost 100% of the violence against muslims is justified and as a result of this this rising uh hatred towards muslims and this radicalization anti-muslim mobs have become so common that the indian supreme court has themselves warned that they may become the new normal that's the indian supreme court claiming That anti-muslim mobs may become the new normal across India now we've spoken about a number of different cases uh one was a a a teacher that you may have seen on tiktok and twitter and instagram i'm supposed to say x now not twitter um where a teacher is is telling students to slap uh, a muslim student uh but the new york times uh amongst others has also Highlighted a case that I spoke to Muhammad Ali about which was in the early hours of a Monday on a train bound for Mumbai, India's commercial capital. A police officer took up his service rifle, fatally shot his superior and then killed three unarmed passengers. All three of the passengers were reportedly Muslim men according to Indian news reports. Audio from the cell phone videos of the incident filmed inside the train is muffled but it sounds as if the officer Chetan Singh says in Hindi... If you want to live in Hindustan, you must vote for Modi and Yogi. And you can find that on the New York Times website. And obviously, this is a concern for us, not just from a moral perspective, but from a political perspective here in the UK. We've seen this violence travel across the the world and um, has reached Leicester, someone who has spoken very, very clearly against this issue in the House of Parliament is Naz Shah, Labour MP for Bradford West and Vice Chair of the APPG on British Muslims. Uh, Naz, thank you so much for joining us. Um, uh, Hi, I b- good evening. I hope you can hear us. Thanks so much. I appreciate your time. We have been spending uh, this program talking about the rising violence against Muslims in India. Uh, we've heard from someone live from India who's writing a book on the case um, and we've seen a number of different reports from the New York Times and other places around the scale of violence and persecution against Muslims in India. You're the APPG, you're the vice chair of the APPG for British Muslims. Uh, you've also spoken about this issue in Parliament. How concerned are you at the rising um, normalisation of violence against Muslims in India?
3: Well, I'm deeply concerned. First of all, thank you, and it's uh, good to it's good to be with you this evening. It's Look, we've seen the um, thing that went viral a couple of days ago about a teacher having children getting up and slapping a Muslim boy. And, you know, people, the media, and it's interesting to see the tweets on that because some of the media are saying, oh, this is horrendous. But these are the media people who have, you know, at times inflamed this and normalised this kind of violence. And um, Shashi Thiru's, um tweet was interesting. He said we should all every indian should be hanging their heads in shame those were the words of the the elected member who was at one point the, the deputy general secretary of the united nations it's not something that is it's not something that has not been talked about it's not something that we we don't know is happening we know that it's increasing we know that violence against muslims the issue with the hijab at the schools the issue with what girls are wearing has been, you know, the lynching of Muslims in India. And and I am, I'm deeply concerned. I'm, my concern grows, you know, by the day because it's not, it, there doesn't seem to be anybody who's speaking out apart from when there's something that goes viral and then maybe a few people will, you know, come in on the issue. But I'm also worried about the persecution of, you know, not just Muslims, but other minorities in India as well. So, and it's there seems to be that, there seems to be this attitude that nobody can speak against it because it's Modi and because of trade deals, etc. And that is really, really worrying me.
1: And I'm glad you've raised that because that's one of the issues. One of the reasons we wanted to do the show um, is obviously because India is going to be seen as a as a potential trade partner. We've heard Rishi Sunak talk about it, amongst others. How important is it that we we maintain in the public conscien- consciousness and in the public conversation? that while trade deals are being discussed with India, there are 200 million Muslims who many are being lynched, killed, persecuted, having their hijabs ripped off. How important is it for politicians like yourself to bring that to the forefront?
3: I think it's really important because I remember when Boris Johnson, when we had COVID, you might remember that India was not placed on the red list despite the variant, the variant that was really, really prevalent. And at the time, because because it was India, they renamed the variant and started giving variants names. Now, that was telling. And Boris Johnson planned to go to India during that month, and it was catastrophic for Indians, you know, the, the amount of COVID that there was there. But Boris Johnson did not put India on the red list until it was a such a big crisis, and it, it shouldn't have happened. Mm-hmm. In comparison... Pakistan, which had relatively, and not just Pakistan, other countries, which had relatively lower numbers of uh, COVID cases, were put onto the red list of no flying during COVID pandemic. And and when Boris Johnson did finally get to India, I remember tweeting out, tweeting, one single tweet to Boris Johnson, saying, I hope you are going to be discussing the issues of human rights abuses in India. And I had, uh, Ali, I had, um, uh, had panel interviews with people dissecting who Nas Shah was, that because I was of Pakistani heritage, somehow mm-hmm. I was, you know, a Pakistani uh, stooge or whatever, whatever they were. Yeah. But I, I was my um, the abuse that I got on Twitter after that one single tweet. And mm-hmm. the truth is that politicians, we as politicians, whichever country, whichever country it is, we need to be holding them to account because if we are put, making trade deals with countries, They should be sharing the same values as us and they should be sharing our, you know, they should be sharing or at least aiming towards having a country which does not persecute minorities and which has equality. And that clearly isn't the case with India. Now, India as a country, an amazing country, you know, I have many diaspora Indians living in my constituency and many Indians, many Indians are really, really appalled by what is happening and they speak up against it. Um, but this whole BJP kind of narrative is very, very worrying. And I and I wish India all the best in terms of economic prosperity. It's a very, very important country. We have a we should absolutely be developing really, really strong ties with India and countries mm-hmm. that we can trade with and we can you know, we have yeah. Indians who come here who work in the NHS who work so that's the yeah. crucial component of our relationship. But if I, of course, it's it also... It cannot I th- be at the expense of human rights
1: violations. Exactly. And I think it, you know one of the reasons it's important to speak about is also because trade de- negotiations and deals are moments in which you can influence other countries. Um, and if if this is a moment where we can talk about these issues, then I think it's really, really important. now as I just want to say before I let you go... Um, because we are running out of time i i, I said this to mohammed uh, as well mohammed ali who joined us uh, earlier it takes a lot of courage to speak about this issue because as right as you've rightly said uh as soon as you finish talking to us today and this goes out, I'm sure there's going to be a barrage of abuse. Uh, Muhammad Ali actually mentioned that he hopes people weren't listening within India, so he wasn't targeted. Uh, so I want to thank you for, for having the courage to speak out about this issue um, to us uh, and elsewhere that you've been able to have. I'm sure it'll have a huge impact um, for Muslims in no, India and across the country. Thank you
3: for having me on, and thank you for having this conversation, because we had Aditya Roy here who delivered the word, word three free word lecture at Bradford Literature Festival. And she talked about her courage. She talked about me talking and getting trolled on media, social media, is nothing, nothing, is not even a drop in the ocean in comparison to what people on the ground in India are feeling. How she has been persecuted, how her family have been targeted economically, mm-hmm. banking wise, you know, and she comes from a comfortable position she nobody will employ her. She's put her t- pieces in the in the New York Times. Worth watching that lecture. I think it's on her her free word lecture is on YouTube and mm-hmm. if not find it on the Bradford. Literature. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm but sure we can. can say we
1: to you. we, can, we track can track that down and share it. Okay, that's Naz Shah, our Labour MP for Bradford West and vice chair of the APPG on British Muslims. Naz, thank you so much uh, for joining us. Uh, we are approaching the end. Uh, of our show today um, and it's been a tough one i think um, hearing i think some of the stories around what people are experiencing in india um, some of uh, the persecution the violence the death um, that is being experienced uh, by indians but it's important that we raise it largely because as Naz said there is a trade deal that is being negotiated uh, and trade deals are often the most influence you can have the moments of trade deal negotiations are when you can have the most influence um, on a country. And it's important that we don't let this um, go silent um, for the Muslims in India. But as was rightly mentioned, other minorities, including Christians and the Indian voices, the Hindu voices in India who, who are f- standing up um, to this uh, far-right, nationalistic, racist uh, agenda politics uh, and oppression. Thank you all so much for joining me. I want to be- give a big thank you, particularly this week, um, to the bravery of Muhammad Ali, author and academic from India, who spoke to us, Naz Shah, Labour MP for Bradford West, and Councillor Hamza Ta'azul, former Lord Mayor of Westminster, who's joined us as well. I have been Ali Malani. You can follow the show. Um, really do go back and listen to all of our other episodes. You can catch that on FUBAR Radio uh, on the website. Um, follow FUBAR Radio on all the social media channels. We've done a host of really, really important issues um, like today, everything from policing uh, to the NHS, um, to the Labour Party and the Conservative Party. I even had Lord Buckethead on once. Um, that was an experience. Um, so you can go back and listen to all those episodes on Instagram. We are at Politics politicsfubar, same on Twitter, slash X. You can catch me on Twitter at Ali UK and on Instagram. I will see you all next week. Salams.